0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, Let me start and introduce myself. Uh, My name is Amjad. I am a grateful sexaholic. I am completely powerless over this disease. I have a fatal, incurable disease. Uh, that will kill me, and there is no known cure. And uh, that means I just got to keep on coming back. And so I'm just really grateful uh, to be here uh, to share my experience, strength, and hope. And uh, I have no idea what uh, God will reveal today. I pray, uh, I guess my kind of opening prayer is that whatever we all hear here today, myself included, I pray that it is not from me, but through me. Because uh, uh, trust me, you don't want what's in this thing. Uh, my head is has uh, got all kinds of crap in it, and I don't. Uh, I'm praying that that doesn't come through, but instead that God speaks through me, uh, and uh, that I am just as uh, enlightened by what comes out as you guys are. So, uh, with that, I guess I'll just uh, if I can uh, kind of open with the Serenity Prayer, real quick, I may. Uh, I, I just want to ask God. To grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, Thy will, not mine, be done. So I had, uh, I guess, in full disclosure, I didn't do a whole lot of preparation because, again, I didn't want this to be from my own uh, own mind. I didn't want to wow everyone uh, with some great. Uh, You know, eloquent speech, but rather wanted to focus on just uh, seeing what God reveals uh, today. So, on this topic of desperation, I've just been reflecting on it over the last few days. And, um, you know, a few, a few stories from my, from my story come to mind, but I'll just start with a, I guess, a brief history for me. Uh, I came into the program in December of 2005 and uh i unlike a lot of stories i was not discovered there wasn't any great discovery there wasn't any uh traumatic event that brought me in uh i just got sick and tired of living a double life uh addicted to pornography and masturbation uh actually didn't even consider masturbation a problem it was just the pornography that i wanted to get rid of and so i um you know i I was just sick of it. I was sick of hiding. And, uh, you know, I at the time, I was working a second job uh, in in efforts to just make a little extra money, a little extra cash, because uh, we you know, were really tight at that time. I had two small children. I, well, we have two children. They were small at the time. And uh, I would go to this second office after work, and I would be there for about four hours away from my kids, away from my wife. Uh, You know, just uh, supposedly working and I would spend three of those hours binging on pornography and only charging one hour to the client. And uh, so I really wasn't I was, you know, I was spending all this time away from my small children and uh, leaving my wife to fend for herself against these two really hyper kids. And at the end of the day, I wasn't even doing the hours that everybody thought I was doing. And one day I was in the office and uh, uh, the the cleaning crew came through and I'm to this day, I'm not sure if they saw what was on the computer screen because I quickly turned it off. And that was and, you know, I just kind of thought, well, I just spent the last three hours looking at pornography, to, you know, that I guess I'll just go ahead and search up and see if there's like a sexaholics anonymous type thing somewhere out there. And, uh, you know, I, uh, cause that was my big fear. I never wanted to search for sexaholics anonymous cause I was afraid it would lead me to pornography. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's the, the, I guess the insanity of it all, that was my reason for several years to never put that into a search box. Uh, cause I just thought, you know, if I put the word sexaholic in there, who knows what will come up. And so instead I would spend, you know, hours looking at pornography and then never really look for, for help. Uh, and so, uh. You know, I actually, a short time before that, I had a friend of mine who wanted to talk to me and he was having a really hard time telling me what was going on. And I suspected that he was a porn addict also. So I said, well, would it help if maybe I disclosed something to you and then maybe that would make it easier for you to tell me whatever it is that you're you're trying to tell me. And so I told him that I was addicted to pornography and he just looked at me, his jaw was down, his eyes were wide open, and he just stared at me. And he said, "I was just going to tell you that I, I ha, I'm in a difficult relationship with this girl, and I was going to get some advice from you. I I had no, I'm not a sex addict, I'm not a porn addict, but you need to get some help." And uh, he's like, "You know, there's programs out there for that." And that's what got me kind of thinking more about reaching out for help. Uh, but that was the first time in my life that I ever told another human being that I had this problem. I mean, I had hit it for most of my life. And, uh, you know, so there it was, And I that brought me to the rooms. So in December 2005, I came to the rooms. But I really wasn't desperate. You know, I was just tired. Uh, I came in tired and kind of, you know, like I was exhausted and I'd been fighting this and I just, but I wasn't at that point of desperation. So there were several things I was unwilling to do when I first came in the program. Uh, one was get a sponsor. Cause I looked around the room and I said, you know, this is a room full of bozos. There is no way I'm letting one of these guys tell me how to live my life. You know? So uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I did not want to get a sponsor. And uh, there were only a couple of guys sober in our group at the time. And uh, you know, I, I didn't like either one of them. So I was like, you know, I'll just, I, you know, what I can, anything I need to know, I can read in this book they gave me. And uh, so I started reading the white book and, uh, you know, sponsoring myself. And guess what? You're not, this is like amazing, right? Within about two months, I was completely cured. So I no longer had a sex addiction. I didn't have any lustful thoughts. I mean, I was like, just complete, like the slate had been completely wiped clean I was floating on cloud nine. I was, you know, just in this pink cloud. And I was like, this is amazing. All I needed was the ability to tell a bunch of people that, I'm a, that I have this problem and be able to talk about it and to get a book that would explain to me more about this addiction. Because, the more, you know, as I started to understand the addiction, I was like, oh, well, now that I understand it, of course, I'm cured, right? So I left. And I stopped coming to meetings. I, st- I stopped making phone calls. I stopped connecting with everybody. So I was only in for about three months. But in those three months, I I submitted four articles to the SA newsletter because I had figured it all out. And you guys are so dumb. It took you know, it took me a couple of months to figure it out. And the rest of y'all idiots were sitting there trying to figure it out for a really long time. So uh, I wrote like four articles and I submitted. I was god, I was pompous, and uh, I probably still am and you know uh got you know somehow they published those and uh i was really mad because they wouldn't they wouldn't give me credit like they wouldn't put my name on the bottom of it which was a a fake name anyway but i was really upset that they wouldn't give me credit cuz i was trying to be famous in this uh, anonymous program and so uh you know i i i stepped away from the 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 fellowship and a few months later when i was you know at 10 months i came crashing and burning down and I started binging like crazy I was um, you know binging uh, like I mean it was so bad I had it hadn't been that bad in in years Uh, you know I would my wife would go to the restroom I would get on the computer real quick try to see some porn log off you know I mean it was just like uh, my kids would be in the room they would turn and look the other way I would log on the computer and try to find some porn you know and it's like uh, my young son, uh, at, at the time, the, the boys were uh, probably two and three, uh, no, four and five. And my four-year-old saw something on the computer and he's like, you know, what's that? And I said, oh, I'm looking at fruit. And I started searching up watermelon and other things. And I was like trying to explain to him that it was this fruit that I was looking at, uh, different kinds of melons. Uh, but that's not really what I was looking at. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I uh, but I was trying to just distract him. But again, it was because I, you know, really wasn't that desperate. So I finally came into the, you know, came back crawling into the rooms after a two week binge that nearly killed me. I was in so much physical and emotional pain uh, from that binge uh, that, uh, you know, I lost count of how many times a day I was masturbating and looking at pornography, not sleeping. So I, I uh, came back into the, uh, to the rooms and, um, This time I agreed to get a sponsor, you know, like reluctantly, but I still really wasn't willing to do a whole lot. And then fast forward a few more months, and in February of 2007, my my unmanageability kind of hit rock bottom. Uh, I, you know, my my wife asked me to move into the other bedroom. She said, "We're going to be separated." uh i just want you to stay in the house cuz i want help with the kids but if it has nothing to do with the children or any household chores i don't want to speak to you i have nothing to do with you and in a year i'll decide whether or not i want a divorce or not and that was the beginning of my desperation um then a couple of days later i had this huge rage episode so i'm also a rage addict i'm a rageaholic i had this huge rage episode and um you know i had my my two young children And I'm like slamming them up against each other. My mother-in-law is hitting me, trying to get me to drop the kids down. And uh, I yelled and screamed so loud, I I passed out. I wanted to leave the house and just go uh, on a rage drive. And uh, my mother-in-law took the car keys and wouldn't give them to me. And uh, when I finally came to, uh, that was the point where I was like, you know what? I think the best gift. I can give to the people I love the most is to just no longer be in their life. So I came up with a suicide plan for the sixth or seventh time in my life. I have at least four or five attempts. I was kind of recounting them the other day uh, from from high school all the way through. And, uh, you know, I came up with uh, uh, my suicide uh, plan. uh, And I was just trying to figure out what would be the best day to do this. And, um, my boss came up to me the next day and said, um, said, I need to talk to you. I don't know what's going on with you, but I don't want you to come to work tomorrow. I want you to take a sick day, uh, call it a mental health day, whatever it is, just go home and just regroup because you are not yourself. And I don't know what's going on with you. And I didn't realize it was that apparent because I thought, you know, it's like, I thought I was so good at acting that nobody had this clue that I was just like such a mess. So I thought, great. Now I have the day off. What a perfect time to kill myself. And, uh, out of, out of, I guess like a last ditch effort of desperation, I went to a meeting that night and in the meeting, my, uh, my sponsor said, you look like crap. What are your plans tomorrow? And I said, well, I apparently I have the day off. Cause my boss doesn't want to see me at work tomorrow. I guess everybody in the meeting could tell I look like crap. And so he said, why don't you come hang out with me all day? So he's like, meet me at the 7 a.m. AA meeting and then we'll we'll just kind of go from there. And so I did. And so I spent that that day with him uh, in the morning and the whole time I kept thinking, you know, I'm going to go kill myself as soon as we're done here. And in that session, uh, he uh, he said to me, uh, he looked at me toward the end of it. And he said, you know, you're the most arrogant SOB I've ever met in my life. <laughs> are we, I'm like, are we even in the same room? <laughs> what? I'm telling you how much I hate myself and how I, you know, like I am the worst person. And I I mean, I was, I would just spent that whole three or four hours, just like basically degrading myself, like self deprecation and just, you know, just like this, I'm a horrible person, my family, you know, look at what I've done to my family. and And then he tells me I'm the most arrogant SOB he's ever met. And I'm thinking, I am totally lost. And he said, well, it's pride in reverse. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in God? And that was my other problem, which I know that's not the topic today. But my other problem was that I had a lot of faith, but no trust. And so, uh, I, you know, I said, yes, I do believe there's a God. And I, you know, I believe that he has condemned me because, I mean, look at me. You know, I'm, I'm like the worst. I'm like the devil incarnate in human form. Uh, yeah. it, 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 and he He looked at me. See, see, that's it right there. You are like a tiny ant who has crawled up into the throne of God. You're flipping God off, like giving God the finger and telling him, F you. You had no idea what you effing did when you made me. Uh, You're the worst possible God ever. Um, And then you're looking down upon yourself and playing judge, jury, and executioner and saying, you worthless piece of crap, you deserve to die. And I'm going to kill you. He's like, if that's not arrogant, I don't know what is. And I tell you that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life to this day. Uh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. It was like a ton of bricks hit me in the face. Uh, and from that day till now, I have not been able to hold on to a suicidal ideation. Cause every time I start to think about, you know, maybe, maybe I'm better off dead. I just picture myself as a little ant <laughs> in this ginormous throne. And, I'm, and I just start laughing, you know, it's like, I can't hold on to that idea anymore. But um so I know, I know I'm kind of getting toward the end of my, my 25 minutes. I think I'm uh, kind of coming up. I've got a, a few more minutes here. So where am I going with this whole uh, story? So for me, what um, that, that sponsor, he actually he used to really tick me off because he would tell every single newcomer that would walk in the door, they would walk in the door and he would look at them and he'd say, I wish desperation upon you. And I was like, what a jerk, you know, like instead of saying like, welcome, may you have hope. This is a place where the solution lies. I mean, he would just literally every guy who walks in the door, he says, I I wish desperation upon you. And I hope that you get so desperate that you're actually willing to do what it takes to stay sober. And I hated him for that for the longest time, which is why I would never ask him uh, to, to sponsor me. But he was the most sober guy in the group. And so I finally asked him. He was actually the only guy with any, any length of sobriety in our fellowship, our local fellowship. And, uh, you know, after that whole event, I started doing that to newcomers. So newcomers would come in and I would say, you know, uh, welcome to Sexaholics Anonymous. I wish desperation upon you. <laughs> and I hope that you're so desperate that you're actually willing to do whatever it takes, that you're willing to go to any length. Uh, I know people that have driven an hour one way several times a week to get to a meeting for years. Uh, I did. I mean, on, uh, our meeting was like a, a rather far away and it was really early on a Saturday morning, which was the one day that I used to sleep in. And I started getting up early. I, I was so desperate. My every meeting for the first year, probably year and a half that I went to, my wife fought with me tooth and nails to go because she's like, you are not leaving me home alone with these two hyper children, you know, to go hang out with your buddies and, you know, share wonderful stories and laugh it up while I'm sitting here dying, you know, cleaning up the mess and, and dealing with these with these crazy kids. And we would fight. Every single time. And I would just look at her and I would say, I love you, but I'm no good to you right now, right here. I have to go. I have to go to this meeting. It's, you know, like I want to be a better husband and a better father and a better son and a better employee and a better friend and just a better human being. And the only way that I know how to do that right now, the only hope that I have is by going to these meetings. and I'm sorry that you feel that way. And I would go. And uh, which was really hard for me because I've never said no to her for anything. I always tried to placate her in any way that I could have. Uh, and so, um, you know, that was my story for a really long time. Uh, just one more kind of desperation story. And then I want to finish on a final point if I can. Uh, I did pull some literature kind of um Quote, I mean, uh, little mini quotes from the big book. So if there's time at some point, I'll throw those in there too. But, um, you know, I, when I came in, uh, you know, so I shared that story about like not really being desperate. Then I got to a point where I was at desperation. Um, then later, I, I felt cured again. So at the five year and 10 month mark, when i was 2 months away from picking up my 6 year chip i once again came crashing and burning down because guess what i had stopped going to meetings i had stopped making calls i had stopped working steps i just stepped away from all of it because i lost my desperation and i have an old timer in the program who told me many times he says you know the problem with desperation is that you know it's uh, you're desperate until that problem is resolved so my family was threatening to leave me I was actively uh, dying in my addiction. Uh, My job was in jeopardy. I had all these issues going on that created this desperation for me. But once these problems got resolved, then, you know, because a problem is temporary. Problem has a solution. It gets resolved. And all my desperation left. And so I stopped working at all. And what this old timer taught, taught me, this was after I came back. And I became a chronic slipper. And, uh, you know, I, I actually had three one and a half year stints uh, where every time I'd get that one and a half year mark and I would just feel like I'm cured again uh, and stop doing the work. And um, and so I started working with this guy and he told me, he said, you don't need to be desperate. That works when we first walk in the door. But what you really need to be is Hopeless like a man who has lost his legs and will never grow them back. That's the kind of desperation you need to have. And so I started with that kind of desperation. And I started telling myself that I'm a hopeless, I'm a sexaholic of the hopeless variety. My wife has recently really encouraged me to find something a little bit more meaningful because she keeps hearing me share that in meetings, on these Zoom meetings. And she'll like pass by the room and hear me say that. And she's like, you know, uh, do the newcomers have any idea what that means? When you say hopeless, I mean, God, that would like, if I were a newcomer, I'd run from your meeting. Um, And, you know, so instead, what I now say is that I have a fatal, incurable disease, I have a cancer of the soul. And like any cancer patient, it can come back into remission at any time, I will never be cured of this cancer. Uh, This cancer can kill me. And by going to meetings, I go twice a week to get my chemo infusion. I, by uh, making phone calls, I take my daily chemo meds, uh, by calling my sponsor, I'm doing my, you know, like the diet regimen and the exercise that I need to, to try to fight this cancer. And the moment I let up on any of that, my cancer could come back with a vengeance. And I literally believe in my heart that I have a spiritual cancer. And so one last story, and then I think I'm kind of at a point where I'll stop, uh, is that, um, so one one this was during that this last so most recently I picked up a four-year chip. Uh, you know, I've been sober since November twenty-first, twenty sixteen. Uh just by the grace of God, it's a miracle. As as a matter of fact, I tell people that by some miracle I've been sober for the last three hours. And I don't know how I've done it. Just in the last three hours, I got hit with a with a lust temptation. Uh it came out of nowhere because I'm just I'm really tired. I've had a very physically trying week. I've got halt going on. I am not cured. I am nowhere near cured and I never will be I, my, this disease will get worse over time, never better. Therefore my commitment to this program has to get better over time, not less it has to increase. Uh, so I was in this, this last four year period and my mother-in-law hates the fact that I go to a church every, every uh, Saturday morning. Uh, Cause you know, she's like, well, why can't you find that same solution in our own faith tradition? And uh, I said, "It's not. I'm not going there to practice that fake tradition. It just happens to be that that's where the room is. It's in a church, so I go to a church. And you know, we're we're an interfaith group, and you know, uh, we work together, and because we have a common problem. And they don't. They think I'm in a program for uh, rageaholics because uh, they because they've seen my my rage issues. My in laws have. Uh, my parents know that I'm a sexaholic, but my in laws don't. And um, I got." So sick one day, I had a really bad flu. So I'm laying in bed at night and I'm shivering violently and I'm sweating and I have a fever and I'm just shaking violently from shivering. I'm having these, you know, like uh, cold uh, uh, kind of just this reaction to just being really, really sick. Coughing up and just my face is draining. It's like Niagara Falls. I mean, you guys can appreciate that. Those of you in Canada, right? I mean, it was like Niagara Falls was trying to come out of my face. Uh, and I, you know, I'm laying there and, uh, my, my mother in law and my wife are putting blanket after blanket on top of me, trying to get me to stop shaking so bad. And once they got me to kind of calm down, my mother in law said, well, thank God, at least he's not going to go to that church tomorrow morning. And my wife started laughing. She said, you don't know him very well. He will drag his dead body to that meeting. And sure enough, the next morning I got up, I drug my dying body to the meeting uh, because that's what gave me peace and happiness. And I, I went there with like two blankets, two boxes of Kleenex or one box, of big box of Kleenex. And, uh, um, you know, I sat in a corner and I told everybody to stay 10 feet away from me but I'm coming to this damn meeting because I need this in order to survive. And uh, that's because I believe that I have a fatal incurable disease uh, that will kill me. And so, uh, and it's not, you know, I I shared that story with somebody recently or a few years ago and he said, where's the happy Joyce and free in that, that just sounds so miserable. And I was like, you don't understand. I was sitting in the corner of that room and I was the happiest guy on the planet. Like, yeah, my face was just draining out and I was Coughing and sneezing and dying, but I was happy. That's actually my dream death. And I'll end with this point. My dream death is to be lying in my deathbed with a meeting going on in the room around me. You know, like a bunch of guys sitting there reading, reading stuff from the program, sharing, and just saying, like, well, at least you're dying sober, you dummy. You know, I mean, that's literally my dream, dreams, that death state. Uh, is you know that at some point my family would have to kick all the guys out so that they could actually grieve my death, <laughs> you know. So anyway, with that, I will I will stop my share. Um, like I said, I had no idea what I was going to share, and I'm just grateful to God for uh, for using my mouth to transmit something for you guys. Uh, that actually wasn't even my little outline that I had written. So uh, with that, I'll pause.
2: Superb. Thank you so much, Amjad. Uh, Whenever you you always leave me speechless when I hear you, uh, when I hear you speak, uh, my jaw drops and I'm just like, wow, Uh, how is this guy uh, always telling my story? God just speaks through you, man. So thank you so much, brother. What a fantastic start to this day. Um, So, Uh, We're going to go into the question and answer period of uh, this meeting. Uh, We'll do one question per person. The goal is to finish. Well, let's try to finish this meeting at uh, five minutes to the hour. Uh, Just a few reminders and participation. We avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. Crosstalk means interrupting, giving advice, or criticizing another person's share. If someone feels another is getting too explicit, uh, you may so signify by uh, either calling on the host or just raising your virtual hand or messaging me directly, at which point I will consult the group for group conscious conscience. Uh, please unmute before asking your question. And uh, you can uh, ask a question by raising your virtual hand, and I will uh,
0: call upon you. John T. from New Jersey, you're up, brother. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being on this conference. Uh, I got a question for you. I'm new to the program. I've been in SAA for about four years, but SA for about five, four months. How do you know when to... Uh, I don't have a sponsor yet. I'm guilty of that, uh, a home group either. But how do you know when to start your day count again based on a, a lust hit? I've done that myself a couple times, and I'm just curious to hear what uh, you might say because I know you say you had a lust hit this morning. So thanks. All right. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Uh, so I'm Jed Sixaholic again. Um, so that's an interesting question. I, um, um, For me, I guess it's uh, it's through a lot of prayer, uh, reflection and checking with my sponsor. Uh, That's that's how I do it, because I don't trust my own brain. Uh, Many, many, many of time in my life, especially when during that period when I became a chronic slipper after I lost the the almost six years, um, I um, my brain will say, oh, well, you just lost your sobriety you're not going to be able to reset until at least it's going to be 24 hours before you can start counting again. So might as well, you know, just make the most of this, you know, and then I will just go absolutely insanely crazy uh, binging on pornography. I did that so many times that I, uh, the, my personal rule is I do not reset my sobriety until I've talked to my sponsor. Uh, you know, cause I, I just feel like, and my sponsor is just like, I don't know, but like it's, you know, and he's like pray about it and figure it out kind of thing. Uh, I almost reset my sobriety uh, uh, back in, I think it was January. I had a close call with uh, Facebook, which I n- never go on, but somebody sent me a link and I clicked on it uh, uh, and it, instead of taking me to, to the, the post that this person was trying to share with me, it took me to my uh, friend requests and that just kind of led down a rabbit hole and uh, it scared me. It really scared me. And uh, I felt like, you know, the the three parts of the three definitions of sobriety are no sex with self, no sex outside of uh, marriage uh, and and progressive victory over lust. So I said, well, I don't even know if I'm having progressive victory over lust. And so I asked my sponsor and my sponsor basically kind of said to me, said, well, first of all, I do. I, as your sponsor, feel like you are having progressive victory over lust. And two, it sounds like you kind of want to be a martyr because you're seeing these other guys reset their sobriety and you're sort of like trying to sabotage your own sobriety so that you can make these other guys feel better about their sobriety. Um, I did at, I had reached about a three and a half year mark when there was just this one event that had happened that just haunted me so much over the course of two of a year and a half that I prayed a lot about it. Uh, reflected on it. I asked some members of the program that I trust that have long-term sobriety. I asked my sponsor, and I did actually change my sobriety date. So I went from three and a half years to two years. Uh, and my sponsor's rule for me was: you can do that, but you are not allowed to make a big deal out of it. Uh, you know, you can change your date, but you're not allowed to go around and talk about, it. "Look how cool I am! I'm so awesome!" I like was willing to reset my date. Um, you know, and uh, and that gave me a lot of peace it gave me a lot of peace to be able to do that. But again, I cannot, I don't trust my brain. So I need the, what I call the, the, the committee it's God myself and another sober member in the program. Cause if I don't have all three, there's no telling what's going to come out of this insane brain. Uh, you know, cause I think I'm, I'm hearing the voice of God and really I'm, I'm listening to the voice of crazy me. So, uh, that's where the member comes in is they're like, no, uh, yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell one more funny story about that. I uh, When I was working on this most recently, when I was working on step eight or a couple years ago, I came up with this brilliant idea. I was going to post on Facebook, like make my status to say, if I have ever in any way offended or hurt you, please contact me so I can make amends to you and my sponsor laughed so freaking hard he said that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life and i swear i thought it was brilliant you know so uh i just have to be really really careful um i you know it's never ever ever too early to get a sponsor even the whoever it is uh, for me the way i find a sponsor it's a long answer to a very short question but uh you know, the way for me that I find a sponsor is I, you know, and I, what I recommend to people is just look around the room, find the person who has what you want. And you, and I just latch onto them like a leech until they finally say yes. Uh, if they say no the first time, I just keep asking and keep asking and hounding them until they're finally like, okay, fine, I'll be your temporary sponsor or whatever. Uh, That's how I got my current sponsor. It took me a year or two of just asking him constantly until he finally said yes, because I really wanted what he had. That old timer that I mentioned, I started calling him like every day saying, "Okay, I want you to take me through the steps. Come on. I want what you have. How can Mm -hmm. I get there? So I just shared that. um, It's never too late. It's never too early, but it can be too late. So, yeah, I'll stop with that. Thanks,
2: that All right, the floor is open for any other questions or shares.
3: Yeah, Jason, here's the Holy Palace over last from Australia.
1: Jason.
3: Hey, Jason. Hey, brother. Hey, brothers. Um, yeah, i got a question, that's all right. Yeah, please go. Um, yeah, just about um, um, marriage in sobriety. I've been sober um, eight months now, uh, nearly eight months. i um, been in the program uh, since January 11, 2019. That's when I hit a real rock bottom. Um, and um, yeah, wanted to take my life. But um, so my wife and I are sleeping in separate bedrooms, currently celibate. And um you know things are starting to improve they've improved significantly in the last just the last two two weeks. Um, and I don't know um I guess I'm a bit fearful and don't know how to say you know when can I come into the bedroom um yeah, I'm just a bit fearful about that all of I'm celibate and feel a bit safe in that and not sure if I want to. I've had enough sex to last me 10 lifetimes. So, yeah, I, I don't, um, I maybe just some um, thoughts about, um, yeah, how do I bring that up with her when is a good time? Um, I know I'm asking for you to pull out your crystal ball, but maybe just some comments about
1: that if you can make sense of that, brother. Great to hear. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. So my, I'm going to answer that question in kind of a, a, round, a sideways, uh, not directly. In that, uh, again, to me, it kind of goes back to the sponsor thing. Um, you know, when I've, I, I'm going to talk about sponsorship a little bit more here because um, for a second, and then I'll try to at least a tap on your your question. But um, you know, for me, when I when I first. Uh, you know, I've been through several sponsors. And one of, you know, the. I truly believe the main reason why I lost was six years of sobriety is because I had a sponsor. I had a sponsor. I asked someone to sponsor me. The guy had like 20 years of sobriety in SA. And I asked him to sponsor me. And then over the course of two and a half years, I called that man three times. And uh, I had a sponsor, but I wasn't using the sponsor, because it's a tool. So then I got my current sponsor. And for the first year, year and a half that I was working with him, I would call one of his other sponsees on a regular basis. And I would call him like every two, three months. Uh, And one day he said to me, he said, how's it working with so-and-so sponsoring you? And I said, no, you're my sponsor. He's like, no, I'm not. Maybe on paper, maybe you have written down somewhere that I'm your sponsor, but you're not using the sponsor tool. You're not using me as a sponsor tool, You're using that other guy as a sponsor tool. And I realized for me, like I have a real fear of authority figures. And so anybody who I view as a boss, as an older brother, as a father figure, the sponsor to me kind of fits in that category. Somebody who can pass judgment on me. I it, it just create so much anxiety for me that I can't pick up the phone and call and I can't ask questions. So what changed for me was that at some point, and I don't know where it happened, I don't know how it happened, I, I literally consider it a pure miracle, but at some point, I started viewing my sponsor as a telephone between me and God. So whenever I call my sponsor, I, I, I right before I make the phone call, I say, God, if there's anything that you want to share with me today through this man's mouth, then please keep me humble enough to hear it. Cause he'll say stuff that I'm like, he has no clue. He has no idea what he's talking about. You know, he didn't even let me finish my 30 minute story that I was trying to tell him. He cut me off at two minutes. I mean, obviously, how is he going to give me meaningful advice? Right. And what I've realized is like this new concept is so powerful for me. Cause when stuff comes out, I just sit and listen. And I'm like, okay, God, I don't agree. I'm not accepting what I'm hearing right now. And I'm my, everything in me wants to reject this idea that that's coming out of him but i'm assuming it's from you and you're trying to tell me something here so please just keep me humble i really want to listen to this and i just continue to listen and uh that has really changed a lot for me cuz i don't have to figure out questions like you know when when to reset my sobriety or you know when to uh when is it okay to have uh, sex in marriage Or, you know, like, when is it okay for me to start going to the, you know, watching movies again, or, you know, when can I reactivate the Netflix account? Or when should I go back on Facebook? You know, all of these questions that I used to have, I don't have to worry, like, I don't have to figure them out. Because figuring out is just me propelling my own self ego again. Instead, I just pick up the phone, and I call God. And When I say pick up the phone, I'm picking up my sponsor. I'm like, you know, okay, God. Uh, what do you think I should do here? And so that's a really, really powerful tool that I use a lot. I use a lot. Uh, I will say for me, anytime, uh, any, for at least for, I, I still, I don't trust anything that comes out of my own brain. So if my brain tells me like, ooh, I think it's a good idea to have, to approach your wife today and see if she's willing to have, I don't trust that. I literally do not trust. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, time out, buddy. You you know you're a sexaholic. Your brain is really jacked up. There's no telling what's going to come out of it. And so I I cross reference that against a sober member in the program. Um, and so I've at least for me like I've kind of in in marriage I've put a lot of that on my wife. Like I've just sort of leave it up to her. And I ask God to mm-hmm. sort of show me through her maybe if there's some uh, something there that maybe you know mm-hmm. I'm missing. But I I try to really stay in the in the passenger seat. When it comes to uh, my marriage. So again, long roundabout answer to your question, but, uh, just felt like it was important to touch on that. Yeah. Thanks. Uh,
4: yeah. Thanks. 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 Go ahead,
3: Michael.
4: Hey, <laughs> hi, Anvid. It's Michael. Um, hey. my co- my question is I've been in the program and I came in kicking and screaming in December. Um, and I'm working the program. I got a sponsor right away. Um, great guy. Really, really love him. Um, he's really helped me a lot. But I'm working the steps. I'm trying to do as much reading as I can, although I'll admit I'm not a reader. Um, if the uh, white book was on video, I would love it even more. But uh, that being said, uh, I notice listening to you and I notice listening to other people speak that have had sobriety When, when do you realize you've got that aha moment, as I call it, where it's like, you know what, I get it. I really get it. Because I think I've had little ones where all of a sudden it's like, God, and it's like, yes, okay, I I get it, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then it's like, no, I'm not. When did you realize, you know what, I get it. I'm, I'm there and I get it.
1: Oh, I thank you for that question. My God, that is just beautiful. That is beautiful. You have no idea. How beautiful a question that is. Uh, so <laughs> for the first 10 years in this program, <laughs> for the first 10 years in the program, I had many of those aha moments. And I would uh catalog them. Uh, I literally had in my journal, the way I would do it is in you know I would journal on the front, and every time I would have an aha moment, I would go to the back, and on the back side of it, I would journal these aha moments. And I called them my epiphanies. You know, it's like one more concept has hit my brain, you know, it's like, oh, I get it, you know, like, wow, I finally understand what they're saying when they're talking about this. You know, um, I finally get this, or I finally understand what they're talking about when they say surrender. I finally understand what they're talking about when, you know, they're they're talking about uh, progressive victory. I finally, you know, and it's like, all these epiphanies, and I remember one time my my sponsor kind of laughed at me because uh, I went to him and I said I had another epiphany. It was great. It was amazing. It's like I got to share this with you, and I shared my epiphany, and he just started laughing. He's like, he went like this, and he was just like, you and your epiphanies, <laughs> you and your epiphanies. You know, it's like here you come with one more epiphany. See what I realized, and then more recently, the realization came to me, uh, that. What I had been looking for, for the first several years in this program, 10 plus years, was an intellectual experience. I kept thinking if I could just understand this disease better, if I could just understand the solution better, if I could understand that I that would be my solution that that would be the solution. I just needed to really get it. I needed to somehow get it. And in that that epiphany, in that realization, in that aha moment would be the answer to all my problems. And I had so many aha moments, but they didn't keep me sober. They didn't keep me sober. And then, and I really, I got this because it was beaten into my head for a year as I worked with that Uh, a longtime sober member at the time he had 25 years and uh, he took me through the steps and then I would check in with my, my regular sponsor on a regular basis, but he took me through the steps his way. It took a year. And during that course of the year, he just beat into my head this idea that I'm not here for another intellectual experience. What I'm seeking is a spiritual experience, quote unquote, a miracle. Uh, that's what I'm looking for is a miracle. And to me, the best description of a miracle is in the 10th step promises. So the Ten step promises, I was going to try to pull them up real quick. Uh, some of you may have them memorized. Does anybody know the, the Ten step promises? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's not um, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through that is the ninth step promises. The 10 steps promises say, I found it on page 84 of the big book. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, and in my case, lust and rage. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in acting out. If tempted." We recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. And we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward acting out has been given us without any thought, without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. This is how we react so long as we keep and fit spiritual condition. And I won't read it, but the paragraph right after it is the warning that says it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. Um, but in that, where it talks about the miracle. See, to, I'll give you a quick story about that because I know I know we're getting tight on time. Uh, oh, I remember the story now. So this whole pandemic with all these virtual meetings has really Uh, messed with my head. So I started a new job in uh, September, at the end of August, early September, I started a new job. So I moved to a new town, started a new job. And I was telling somebody at work yesterday, that they're 90% of the people I work with, I have no clue what the bottom half of their face looks like. So if they if we ever do away with the masks, I'm gonna have to relearn everybody's names. Because I don't know what I I wouldn't be able to recognize half the people. As a matter of fact, I saw somebody the other day sitting by themselves in in a corner eating. And I, I was like, I've never seen that person here before. And then later realized that it was somebody that I see every day. So this has really messed with me. And it's created a new source of lust for me because now I have this obsession with wanting to know what a person's mouth looks like. You know, I just sit there and I'm like, I wonder what their mouth looks like. I wonder what their mouth looks like. I wonder what my mouth looks like. And then we get on virtual calls and people won't turn their cameras on. And I'm just like, I wonder what they look like. I wonder what they look like. And so it's created this new kind of energy for me. And so, um, you know, we have in our work, we, you know, we have profile pictures and not everybody has a profile picture on, but one of these type people, one of the females that I was like, I wonder what her face looks like or her mouth looks like. which is always when I say I wonder, that's always a dangerous <laughs> statement for me. And so I was on my phone and I, uh, you know, I was stressed about something and I can't remember what it was. And I got a message from this person. And instead of opening the message, my thumb, and I don't know how to describe this to you, but my thumb was on its way to click on her profile picture so I could zoom in on it. My thumb was in route to the profile picture. And when it got about an inch away from the phone, it was as if an invisible force pushed it away. Like literally just kind of tapped it away like that. And I know you might think I'm absolutely insane, but I'm telling you like, that's the experience I have. And I went like that and my, my, it's like my thumb missed the phone. So instead of clicking on the profile picture, it's like over here. And I remember sitting there just thinking like, I didn't do that. I had nothing to do with that. None of my aha moments had anything to do with that. None of my years of uh, activity in this program and all the reading and all the meetings and all that. None of that had anything to directly do with that. That was a miracle. As a result of me having made a spiritual connection with my higher power. Somehow he got into my chest and made a change at that moment that resulted in my finger missing the phone. That didn't happen through all the aha moments that I had had over time. Um, so anyway, again, another roundabout answer, but uh, amazing question. Thank you for that. Thank
2: you. Thank you, Amjad. Okay, so uh, we'll take last question here from Samar. And uh, if we can just give it about three minutes,
1: Amjad, I'll just let you know when it's uh, when it's time and we'll uh, we'll go from there. So go ahead, Samar. Ask your I'll, question. Watch for your hand, I'll watch for your hand signals. I did prepare a virtual hand just in case anyone needed one. You <laughs> wanted to raise your virtual hand. Anyway, go ahead.
3: Uh, hello, everybody. This is Amr And uh, Thanks for this uh, amazing uh, meeting. Uh, thanks, Anjit, for your inspiring talk. I want to ask a question. How to deal with the uh, hard times while you are uh, uh, work, working the steps? When you came to realize new things about yourself, new things about your attitudes and your behavior in the past, and a new explanation, uh, it really hurts my mind. Um, so, shut till uh, to the extent that I have, I'm going through bad depression. So, uh, I just want to know uh, from your own experience how to deal uh, with those hard times.
4: Thank you. Uh,
1: Thank you for that question. Uh, So uh, two couple of things real quick. One, um, uh, yeah, thank you for that question. So how to deal with hard times. Uh, First of all, for me, if I'm dealing with, dealing with, then that usually is a sign that it's me, my self-obsession, my self-will, my power that is trying to deal with something. So and I that may not be how you meant the words, but it just triggered that memory for me that that I have to be very careful that I'm not trying to deal with anything because I don't I'm not i am i am incapable. I am completely powerless and incapable. My life is unmanageable by me. I am incapable of dealing with anything that life throws at me. I am completely incapable of handling anything that life throws at me. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, and I didn't share this earlier, but for me, I consider trying to stay sober a complete waste of time. You know, I ask this to newcomers all the time. I was like, "Well, have you?" Or somebody who calls me and says, "Man, I've been, I'm, I, I I slipped again." I said, "Well, have you been trying to stay sober?" Said, yeah, I've been trying so hard. I'm like, "There, what a waste of time! What a waste of time for me because I'm incapable of staying sober." That's what Step One tells me is that I am incapable of staying sober. I'm incapable of dealing with depression and anxiety. I'm incapable of dealing with stress. I am completely powerless and my life is unmanageable by me. So then wait a minute. So if I'm not trying to stay sober, what am I trying to do? For me, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a connection with a higher power. That's what I'm seeking. I'm not seeking sobriety. I'm seeking a connection with a higher power. And as a result of that connection, if he somehow keeps me sober, great. You know, That's the miracle of it but if if you know and so what i do is i focus on that connection and for me it all starts with one simple action which is described and i'll end with this described on page 66 of the white book page 66 of the white book that last paragraph on the bottom it says we had always fed our habit we simply weren't aware of it so whenever this happens whenever we're tempted whenever i get stressed whenever i have anxiety whenever i'm afraid whenever i'm sad Whenever, you know, anything, anytime I have any negative emotion, including lust, rage, anger, fear, resentment. Uh, So whenever this happens, we simply acknowledge our powerlessness. Instead of fighting or indulging, we surrender. And I remember I got so mad the first time I heard that word because I'm like, what the heck does that mean? But then it tells me in the next sentence what the first step of that looks like. We pick up the phone we ask for help we go to a meeting we admit we may not want it and then on the next page it just says that we talk about the temptation in a phone call or at the next meeting and tell all telling the deep truth in an attitude of surrender helps break the power of the memory the memory of the incident has or the stress or the anxiety or the sadness it breaks that power. And the most powerful tool in that conversation, when I talk to another member is I tried really hard to laugh about how crazy I am, because the laughter just shatters the lust and the shame and the fear and the anxiety. So thanks for letting me share. I do want to kind of stress again, that whatever you've heard here today, I pray to my higher power, and to my God, that it was not for me and that rather it was through me. So don't thank me. You can thank your higher powers if you heard here something that was beneficial to you.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve,